do you believe young people don't want to do physical work or is this just an urban myth? You hear it all the time. They, they just don't want to work. You know, They don't want to pick for apples. The latest one is fencing. And you may have heard that with Michael Hosking this morning. Uh, there is a complete shortage of people to do fencing. Um, and fencing, you know, is a good job, good rate of pay. You can start at about eighteen fifty an hour. You move up to about $35 with experience. Uh, you get on-the-job training, and there's heaps of work. But there are no Kiwis who want to do it. You do have to be fit. It is, you know, physical work, but you make yourself a good fence. There is a great uh, feeling of accomplishment. It is, um, fencing's a funny old thing. It's actually an adjunct to the construction industry. It's not, you don't, sometimes you don't just want to be a fencer necessarily. You, you're good with your hands. You could have been a builder. You could have been anything. You end out in the fencing industry. Just the same as some people end out in the, um, in the uh, roofing industry. It's an adjunct to the construction industry, I, th- I should think. But anyway, apparently uh, the fencing industry is really, really struggling uh, it could grow because many people want fences, but they say uh, they're having to turn away work because they put advertisements in on Trade Me and Seek and Facebook and they receive very little interest uh, from the young people. Uh, and it's a problem for the entire fencing sector. We've heard these sorts of stories before. And one fella, Brad Jones from the Fencing Contractors Association said, yeah, it is hard work and young people don't want to do physical work. People just don't want to do it. We're on the tail end of a generation of people who were told to go to university and don't do physical work. That doesn't help. Now, I heard that this morning. I heard a fencer talking about how wonderful it is and how fit he is and how much money he's got and how secure his employment is and how, and all that sort of thing. And I, and I got that. And I heard Mike say it, and I've heard many other people say, yeah, this new generation, there's a whole lot of slackers, and they just don't want to work. They want their smashed avocado. And I wonder if that really is actually helping the problem. Now, if whether it's a generation sitting there saying that next generation is useless, because frankly, I'm pretty sure that my parents said that my generation was useless as well. And I wonder whether it really is the, the case. And I'd like to ask you, 0800 80 whose responsibility is it to make sure that you've got workers? The Hawke's Bay apple farmers and the apple pickers and the shortages that we have there and the comments that, oh, New Zealanders just don't want to work and now we've got $60 million worth of fruit that might end up being wasted and unpicked. Whose fault is that? They've gone to the government asking for new you know, um, immigration policies. They've complained about this next generation that doesn't work. But at the same time, I've said it before, you planted it without knowing where you're going to get the pickers from. Whose fault is it? Is it up to the apple picking industry to actually get out there and tell more people about the industry so that we end up creating more apple pickers? Let's get back to fencing then. Fencing. The fencer who's on the radio today with uh, Mike Hosking was interesting. He said, when I go to school, when I was at school, everyone said, you've got to go to university, you've got to go to a tech, you've got to get a piece of paper. Nobody mentioned the trades or apprentices. And I went, yeah, I've heard that a lot too. So the, the problem, apparently, with our lack of workers in these skilled yet physical sectors is that young people don't want to work and schools are useless. And I sat there going, really? Mr. Fencing Contractors Association, have you ever been to a careers uh, uh, thing? Have you ever promoted your own sector? Because there's a lot of competition out there. No, I don't think it's fair. And as a guy that's been a dairy farmer, I've been a builder, 
uh, greenkeeper by trade, which is what I love, um, uh, and worked at an orchard for a very short period of time because that's the worst job in the world. Uh, as a person that's done all that, and I'm a 40-year-old now, they don't pay and they don't evolve. I hope all the orchardists fall over because they haven't evolved into a business themselves. They're, they're dictating to people. You, you be there at 6.30, 7 o'clock in the morning, you'll leave at 6 o'clock at night. If, if they want to dictate to people, that's fine. If they don't want to evolve and move into a more fluid system where they say, well, right, you can start at 9.30 so those solo mums can pick from 9.30 to 2.30. They, they don't want to evolve to that to get more mm. workers. Mm. They want to dictate. They be here at this time, they leave at this time, and we will pay them scrap. The fencing thing, that, that's a job you do once you've failed building. Unless you're fencing, contract fencing for dairy farmers, then that's, that's, a, that's a, a, a really good paying job because dairy farmers pay you better. But if you're just house fencing around some guy's house, it, rubbish, rubbish job, rubbish pay. Again, those people need to figure out a way of evolving, either raise the price of how much you build a fence. But I, I'm, I'm working today outside in the sun in Napier, as I did yesterday, as I, I do every single day. Mm. And 18.50 an hour in this heat, fencing, Mm. Rubbish pay, mate. Rubbish. If you're paying your your accountant thirty five, forty, fifty bucks an hour to sit in an office, air cooled office mm. with a pen and paper, if he's worth that much, what's the sweat, the slog, and the, and the risk of melanoma, and the the the, the, okay. the effort you put yeah. in? Yeah, yeah. How is that not worth more than the guy who's all he's using is his hand and a piece of paper? I just want to have a chat about um, teenagers and what they're doing and what they don't want to do and all the rest of it. Um, between my partner and I, we have a daughter who's 20. She's working in early childhood and she's studying full-time through the same organisation. So she works hard all day and studies all night. Uh, two 18-year-olds. Um, one is just been down south, fencing, working his butt off. Loving every minute of it, but his main objective of doing that was so that he could get a foot in the door down there mm. as a shepherd. Mm. Um, he's just had an interview, a two-week trial on a huge big uh, deer and sheep station down there. A two-week trial. After one week, one day, they rang, it up, rang us up and said he's hired. Yep. But he's 18, earning minimum wage, but he gets a free house and three metres, three power. Yep. Um, the other 18-year-old, he's not keen to study or do anything this year, so he's got his butt off and enrolled himself into Camp America. So he's going off in May to Camp America. Mm. Um, all of their friends are working. A number of them uh, have got building apprenticeships. Um, a couple of them have gone into printing industry because there is a real shortage of graphic designers. Yep. Um, but the thing is that... The hardest part is, where do they find what is out there? I know yeah. that there's trade there, and I know that there's places like Employee New Zealand and and stuff like that, but it, it, it's actually really, really hard for them to, to find out where to go to get these jobs. Well, look, I have to. I'm I'm from the city, obviously, and I know my boys are 23 and 22, uh, 20, and I know yeah. that they that all of their mates have got jobs. Some of them have got three or four all at the same time. They're finding yeah. them all over the place. There's work all over the place. So you know, don't tell me that the next generation is completely lazy. But you are absolutely right. I think each industry that is making some of the complaints about this needs to yeah. sometimes look back at their own practices in terms of recruiting staff and and promoting the benefits of their work and figuring out. 
where they're going to get their staff from in the future because, frankly, every worker is precious in this economy at this time, which is a wonderful thing for the worker. But the employers, I think, are going to have to think a little bit better than telling an entire generation you're useless or, you know, am I, am I being too kind to them? What we lack in this country and in people's minds is um, the possibility to do things. Now, nobody can do everything, but everybody can do something. And mm. I think that should be remembered. Now, I think I've, got a, I think I've got a solution for the tree planting and perhaps other things. We've got enough people here. What you do is you look at our army... And if they want to do extra and let them get that extra, give it to them. Right throughout the country, we've got sports clubs, rugby clubs. Those guys, let them go out and fundraise for their club and let the government pay the club and not be taxed. There's just so many opportunities out there for, for their fundraising type of thing, and you're getting the I right think, people, the fit people. I think what you're suggesting, Tom, is that, you know, look outside the square. Don't sit there and complain about people just lazing and all that sort of oh. stuff. You've just got to look outside the square. Yeah, hello, Debbie. Hi, how are you? You're from the fence. I'm good. You're from the fencing industry, aren't you? I'm from the fencing industry. Yes, I am. Are you Debbie White of White Fencing, based south of Auckland? Yes, correct. And you were the person who featured in the article uh, yesterday, and you were the one who said uh, the growth of fencing businesses around New Zealand is being restrained by a lack of workers. Now, how are we going to get those workers? Uh, good question. So the industry itself, the reason I responded to the journalist who wrote that article, and I didn't understand it was an article being written, was that primary industries are often seen as offering low-paid jobs and um, bad working conditions. So I actually went back to her and I said, Susan, and I said, look, the actual fencing industry has good jobs. It's a vibrant industry. There's a lot of career opportunities, and it offers good pay and excellent conditions. You know, people don't have to do shift work. They don't have to work on the weekends generally. Um, it's a good style of living for anybody who's interested in outdoor work. Right, okay, but you've, you're still, despite that, you're not getting enough people wanting to do it. Now, why do you think that is? Um, part of it will be the push from high schools and um, educational bodies to go on to tertiary education. Uh, some people may think it's beneath them to do manual labour, but there is a difference between physical work and manual labour, mm. and fencing is physical. Um, but most businesses nowadays in the fencing industry are highly mechanicalised. You're talking about post drivers, tractors, posting and stapling guns. Like in our business, we don't use a hammer. Everything we do, we try and think about mm. our employees. So like on a day like today in this heat, they're starting at 6 and they're finishing theoretically at 2, mm. just to try and keep them out of the heat. So it's a two-way process. You know, we work try and engage people and attract them and retain them because it takes time and effort to train. Okay, so see, I, I totally understand this and I know I've done enough talk back over the last 10 years to know that every time we come up with this subject, people say, oh, people, the schools never promote the trades and the trades get a bad rep and yet all I'm hearing every time I talk about it on the radio is the trades getting a great rep. Uh, but perhaps, you know, what I've been saying this afternoon is, are you going to the schools to say, have you thought about fencing? Are you taking proactive steps? Because I got the feeling 
uh, from um, Brad, the president of the Contractors Association, that he was thinking it was um, the next generation's problem as opposed to his problem in trying to source workers. Debbie? I've actually been on the Standing um, Committee, and over the past decade, there's been a lot of work done to try and engage schools um, working with tech offering a certificate and things it's getting the good out there getting that publicity which is what this is so great about because yeah. um, the, the trades, most trades are suffering mm. and everybody always takes a negative spin on it but the opportunities are out there Absolutely. for those who are willing to do it. All right, now you've been cutting out a little bit, so you might want to move around a bit. Those come right now, and, and we can hear it. Look, the fellow who came on the radio this morning with Mike Hosky was the best advertisement for fencing I have ever heard. You know, he, he's a great young guy. He, he was a great young guy, nineteen years of age, and he's he's earning well over the thirty-five bucks. He, of course, he can carry on. He can create his own business. No, and that's a misconception. He's not earning over the thirty-five dollars. The thirty-five dollars was a figure that I gave to the lady for some background information. So you're, I was like any job in any profession, your, your rates will vary. Mm. Actually, young Mary is on in the 20s, uh, not, okay. not to divulge his wage rate. Yeah. But he's got that potential there, and he's working, he's working through it, and he's progressing, and he's training up well. Um, he's a, he's, the, mm. Every industry needs more Murrays is basically what it comes yeah, down to. Absolutely, and he's learning the techniques. And then it's very much like the builders. You know, I, A friend of mine was a builder, and then he remembers the first time he took lead, he became the lead builder on a project, You know, and then he was subcontracting out, and then they were looking at the accounting, and then he was buying kit, and then he was, you know, and before you know it, he had a business happening. The same thing could be happening to this young fencer as well. So that was a great thing. And I just think that uh, more of our... Um, our now, what's, what did you say? Rather than trades, um, our primary industries need to do a better job of actually conveying how fun the life can be to the schools, rather than saying, "Oh, the schools are pushing the universities." Because I'm not sure that's overly true. Um, having been to a few careers evenings and seeing a few of the more uh, uh, trade-based uh, industry sectors actually getting out there and actively promoting. Yeah, and the Fencing Contractors Association New Zealand have been doing that. So whether the wider spectrum isn't picking up on that message, I don't know. And there's obviously, you can always do more. Mm. But, you know, as an organisation, they've got somewhat limited resources, and that's not an excuse. Mm. But that's kind of a reality. Mm. But All the right. only update I'd like to say is that, you know, there's contractors throughout the country who are looking for workers from Otago up to Northland. And um, if people are not afraid of physical work, they enjoy the outdoors, then they should try and um, get in contact with FCANS, the Fencing Contract Association, or look on Trade Me and places like that for ads. Hello, Helen. Hello. Um, I just wanted to talk about my children who are both gainfully employed. My son's 22 now, and he's just, um, well, he's been in the, he's in the Air Force now. But he gave the construction industry about three years. Um, you know, they were both in high detail schools where, you know, well-educated and stuff like that, but I didn't push them to go to university. I said, well, there's no point unless you really know what you want to do. So neither of them went to university. So Carlos thought, oh, okay, I'll give the um, construction industry a crack. He did roading for a while, um, long hours, not very good pay. He's not scared of work. Um, 
And then he moved up to Auckland and was doing like high-rise buildings and things like that. Now, he has got a very good work ethic and he was like within a couple of months offered supervisory positions and stuff like that because he's such a bright young thing. Um, but the industry really needs to pull up their socks. He was constantly having to push for PPE gear. Um, some of the things that they, they used to ask him to do, he'd just say, no, I'm not doing it. It's not safe. You know, things like that have a, a cage up on a three-storey apartment and you had to, to, to walk through a ranch trailer into this crate to unload stuff with no harness and things like that. Yep. Um, so, and very long hours for very little pay. And so he had no downtime and he was just always exhausted. And I mean, you could say he's lazy, but it just, you know, it just wasn't the life for him and he couldn't see where it was going to go. And, you know, the reason he was turning down supervisory jobs, he said, there are rat bags in the industry. He said, you know, some of the guys would spend two hours hiding behind a container somewhere so they yep. didn't have to work. Yep. You know? Yep. No, no, I see that. Uh, if, if we're going to treat the primary industry like this, you know, we're, we're, the labouring industry, you know, as though they are stupid and uh, uh, what's it, expendable, I think, is the expendable attitude of it, you know, uh, that doesn't create the loyalty, well, then they're going to, they're just going to bugger off because there's too much competition, there's too much choice now. It's got nothing to do with being labour. We're lazy. Yeah, no, it wasn't anything to do with labour. He couldn't see an end to it. He was always exhausted and he thought, well... I'm out. What I want. I know. <laughs> yeah. I know. So, Helen, here's the thing. I'm just going to put you on hold because you've got some windage happening there as well. So, I've got I've got a lad who's got a degree, but he's you know he needs to do more study to get really good at what he wants to do. But he's got a job where he was using that degree, and he was paid per hour, but no holiday. Pay. You know, it was one of those zero hour contracts. You know, he has to provide the car himself. They did buy him a pair of boots. That was quite nice. But he had to buy, you know, provide the car himself. He has to transport himself. The number of times he's turning up to do a job and then they go, oh, no, they've cancelled the job. You know, it's in the construction industry. It involves um, some scientific knowledge, but pretty easy. But he's, he's done some training to do it. Well, he's told him to shove it now. Uh, he, he lasted, what, four weeks, five weeks, six weeks. Why? Because he's got himself another job, um, which is closer towards where he wants to be. And they're saying to him, people like you are absolutely precious. If you go back to university, any time you've got any time off, we'll give you work. You know, and these are the options that are there for youngsters. So if you're an employer and you don't offer something that instills a loyalty in this very rare commodity that we have in the New Zealand economy right now, then you are always going to find yourself short-staffed and moaning about it and, and sitting there saying that all the kids are lazy. No, some are lazy. But all of them, no. You're going to have to get a little bit more competitive, is my opinion. It's Damien. Hello. Uh, g'day. g'day. Um, I spent a good 15 years working in the Apple industry. I spent probably what, at least... 10, 10 seasons picking apples, pruning apples, thinning apples and stuff like that. Uh, it is probably one of the hardest jobs you could do in the country, picking apples. Every bin that you pick weighs in between sort of 400 to 500 kilos and you need to pick at least five of them to make more than minimum wage a day. And I became a supervisor after I blew my elbow out and caused myself a whole lot of grief. Mm. trying to work too hard, trying to prune fast, and uh, I became a supervisor. 
And uh, my mandate was, well, if they can't make more than minimum wage in, within two weeks, they're down the road because we don't want to carry them. And they, they cannot can complain about a shortage of workers because they've done it themselves. They don't like paying anything more than minimum wage unless you're on contract, which is not true contract, it's piecemeal, yep. which they, they just pay the, pay the tax for you. <clears throat> well, I, I said at the beginning, uh, when I started talking about this about half an hour ago, when they've talked about leaving $60 million worth of fruit on the trees, they've actually complained to the government uh, and said it's your immigration policies, could you change it, it's your fault, and they've also complained that workers are lazy. And I'm sitting there thinking, well, actually, you put 50 to $60 million worth of fruit on a tree, but you didn't have anyone to pick it. Yeah, no, it's, it's quite short-sighted. I spent five years. I've spent five years in the forestry, thinning, thinning pine trees, planting pine trees, and pruning pine trees. Mm. Planting pine trees has got to be one of the hardest jobs you can do for three months. It, it's not a full year all year round. It's three months. It's twelve weeks of yeah. incredibly hard graft, and you've got to travel not from your home yeah. to to get picked up, and then you travel out to the forest. In which case, you have about five hours to make your money and. Uh, yeah, it, it's it's from what I've heard on the radio and people saying, you know, that guy saying, oh, I've heard of a good planter planting 3,000 trees a day. Well, I'd like to meet him because yeah, the most I, most I ever earned was about 180 to $200 a day and that. that yeah. And I can pick, you know, I've picked 13 bins in one day, which yeah. is a, a huge amount of fruit. Yeah, right. they, they just... They just they don't value you, and they really don't care if you move on. So they they their staff retention. Yeah, but then, yeah, but but the reason I got so angry about it is that I keep on and, and and the same thing happened with the trees and the billion trees thing and Shane Jones and everyone talking about the four hundred dollars a day and I mentioned that beforehand and everyone going oh everyone's too lazy to go out there and earn you know four hundred dollars a day they could earn a hundred thousand dollars a year but you know as Damien just said it's a twelve week planting season. And then you've got to get yourself out there, and that actually comes out of your money as well. There's all the overheads. You've got to get all the trees out there as well. So when you actually look at it, if you want to be part of that billion-dollar tree planting program that Shane Jones thought was so good to get people off, if you look at the paying conditions, it's worse than the doll. I understand there's an app and a map available in Australia that uh, is widely available for travellers, that details where all the seasonal work is available and what industries and what uh, uh, primary industries that it is uh, applicable to. Mm -hmm. And so you can travel around Australia and you can get seasonal work uh, from one one place to another, whether it be cherry picking or apple picking or whatever. Now, I live in the Bay of Plenty and we have a shortage of uh, seasonal workers here for kiwi fruit and avocados, etc., a lot of local people are, are not working, and uh, we're bringing in people from Vanuatu. A lot of travellers are looking for work, but often they don't know where to find it or how to get hold of it. Mm. There is a New Zealand website called um, seasonalwork.co.nz that details where it is available and what, what it, what's applicable, and the similar websites in Australia as well. Mm. So I think the seasonal uh, work industry has been very lax in actually getting out there and letting people know Mm. what work is available.